Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Harmer. Today, I'm joined by Michael Morris. Right, so let's get into the news of today. And the first story we're going to start off with today is the enormous amount of money that the city of Cape Town has been spending on replacing stolen water meters. The city of Cape Town says that it spends 3.9 million rand to replace uh, uh, stolen water meters per year. It recorded more than 2,200 incidents of water meter thefts across the city between July 2022 and May 2023. Not even a full year there. Um, the city said that it had had to scrap installing brass water meters. I uh, I'm surprised they hadn't done that earlier, to be honest. Uh, and that um, this was not just a problem for the city, but it also caused havoc for individual uh, customers because when your water meter gets stolen, it almost always means that you lose connection to the water grid. And so you have to wait for the city to replace it before you can use your water again. Total chaos, but it's one of these stories that I think is also familiar in South Africa. Um, Michael, you're a resident of Cape Town. The story of vandalism and theft disrupting service delivery is, is not a new one in Cape Town. It's one that the city administration has been complaining about for a long time. Uh, what's your take on the story? It's it's sadly, I think, you know, we, we, we see it in almost every sector now where there's a piece of infrastructure, it gets stolen. Mm. It's like, yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, uh, you know, one can speak in terms of the kind of generality. Uh, there's a, the, you know, the, the the atmosphere of lawlessness that, as you say, in, in just about every sector, these things crop up. Um, uh, private companies, uh, institutions, municipalities, and so on, having to spend more and more on on security, um, and and measures to you know preempt the uh, opportunity of, of, of criminals to to make money out of out of selling goods and so on. In 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 the Western Cape, uh, metal theft has been a long long standing um, problem, and in fact, the city has had a very uh, a very effective and, and proactive approach to it. Um, they have, have a unit called the Copperheads, which uh, began years and years ago when I was still, in fact, covering the city. Um, and and these uh, this this unit was really very very effective in, uh, in in identifying the problem areas, identifying the the sort of vulnerable uh, installations and so on, uh, uh, the vulnerable sort of metal uh, fittings, um, but also in following through, tracking the. The kind of economic trail uh, of of this of this material, which you know has has a, a very high value, so it's it's kind of understandable in a way, um, perhaps especially in the times of uh, of economic straits that uh, right. that they become yeah. you know, that vulnerable. Exactly, this is exactly the sort of crime that um, sort of more mm. desperate people might engage in because if mm. you're a uh, you know, if you're a poor person who doesn't really want to get involved in violent crime or something like that, you probably think to yourself, well, you know, stealing a cable, stealing a water meter, who's it really hurting? They're going to fix it anyway. Uh, yeah. You get a little bit of money from it. It can be a little bit dangerous, especially when it comes to cable theft. And that's precisely why I think this is such a difficult problem to tackle, because you not only need to address some of those economic drivers of why people would engage in a crime like this. I mean, I can't imagine anyone except the sort of dealers themselves makes that much money from this. I think exactly. thieves yeah. themselves probably not making a huge amount. Um, but so you need to address those socioeconomic problems, but then also you need to be able to crack up the syndicates that are distributing and selling off the scrap metal here. And that yeah. is the kind of thing that you need advanced police intelligence for, exactly. which we just don't have. Yeah, 
yeah i think i think that, that, that's absolutely right i mean if we were if we had you know if we could focus on law law enforcement's the wrong word almost it's, it's just good policing um all 100 percent attention on tackling that good crime intelligence people in the field who are tracking things down understand the networks understand who's involved where the money's going um that's exactly what you need and, and i think if you've got that going well you can do it but if if there are chinks in in that armor um it's 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 mike's game and uh, you know the criminals have the upper hand um exactly. Funny thing, just one last little thing thinking about um, some years ago, the, the, one of the city officials, the, the mayoral committee member, I think, for for, um, for facilities or installations and so on, protecting infrastructure, made the comment that that it was remarkable for a city that had no uh, mining industry at all that we had such a high uh, income from, from top <laughs> exports. And it's exactly it's exactly this, yeah. Um, Gamer Weber, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> all right. There's, uh, I think, I think we're gonna we're gonna skip over the Cockton minister, and we're gonna follow up on a story we did on the normal episode of the Daily Friends show yesterday, uh, and this is the assault carried out by members of Paul Mashatile's VIP protection unit. So some more details have now emerged about the incident that was recorded uh, went viral on social media of members of the um, uh, VIP protection unit beating three people on the side of the road. There seems to be no context as to why this is happening in the video. Uh, according to the VIP protection officers, and this is from reporting from News24, they believed that this uh, vehicle that the three men were traveling in had tagged Mashatile's convoy for a long while and had been following it, and that they say they were forced to act when the motorists tried to get close to Mashatile's vehicle. Um, the, the three occupants have now been found, and interestingly enough, they were all apparently members of the South African Defence Force, uh, two of them being trainees, and one of them actually being a member of the South African National Defence Union. And they uh, say that what happened was they were travelling on the highway, they noticed one of these VIP protection SUVs pull up next to them, pull a gun on them, and then box them, to the three SUVs boxed them and forced them to the side of the road where they were viciously assaulted, as we saw on camera. Now, apparently... There, there have been a number of police officers suspended in connection to this. Um, a number, I think it was four and then two other officers who were, who were involved. But still, we don't know the names of the people who assaulted it. And there remains an open question about whether Paul Mashatila was in the convoy at the time. Um, his VIP protection officers, according to News24, say that he was, whereas his official statement, I believe, said that he was not in the convoy at the time. What do you make of all this, Michael? Mm. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, I mean, one of the first thoughts is, you know, w w whether or not he was in the convoy, uh, presumably stopping a convoy on a big freeway like that um, in, 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 right alongside the, the vehicle that you assume is, 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 is some kind of threat to you, it, it just surely enhances your, your, your vulnerability to an extraordinary extent. You know, uh, exactly. there, there are other... Uh, you know, well tried and tested maneuvers and procedures for these very expensive cops to to pursue. And presumably, you would arrest the people that you suspected well, of being a threat. Exactly, exactly. And in this day and age, surely every public official of that kind ought to have it imprinted in their mind. Every moment, I am being filmed by somebody with a cell phone. 
it's just a given. You know, there's always a public place like a freeway. You know, it's just, it's just mind-boggling that they didn't even appear to have thought of that. Or perhaps they don't care. And that's really the worry in, in a way, isn't it? That it's exactly just a complete, uh, yeah. So the Independent Police uh, mm. Investigative Directorate, IPED, has said that it is investigating the matter. But I think it's very important that the people involved in the assault their names are revealed to the public because, quite frankly, I do not trust the system entirely to um, follow this through without significant public pressure. Yeah, um, and the yeah. sooner we get more answers on that, the better. Also, as to whether the deputy president was in the convoy, I think, is an important question yeah. uh, that needs to be answered. All right, uh, last story for today. This is the kind of story where in any other country you'd expect it to be massive headline news that everyone was talking about for days and days. Uh, and this is that Jacob Zuma has attempted to take uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa to court um, uh, to charge him in a private prosecution as being an accessory after the fact. And uh, <laughs> it, the, the High Court has just thrown this out and said that, no, it's not. It's an abuse of the court process, um, that this was a private prosecution with an ulterior motive, which is an abuse of the process, and that Zuma has to pay costs for attempting to privately prosecute Cyril without any real standing. Um, Michael, what do you make of this? This is like, this is yet another court loss for Zuma. And I've always been just kind of puzzled by the stunt, which is why I don't think we've even talked about it on the Daily French up till now. <laughs> I know, I know, astonishing. Um, I mean, it does speak to a kind of residual desperation in this man. I mean, his stamina in this regard is quite quite something. I mean, he deserves a medal for, for having <laughs> Having the chutzpah just to keep on month after month, one court case after the next. Um, we, we were chatting earlier about the, you know, the, the quite bland sort of headline: High Court sets aside Zuma's bid to privately prosecute Ramaphosa. This is, you know, <laughs> this is not a, a great dramatic moment in the, in the annals of, of South African jurisprudence. Um, and as Bernadette Wixey, the uh, reporter for EWN writes in her intro, a very short, bland intro, former President Jacob Zuma has suffered another court blow. <laughs> he, he, he must hold some sort of record for the number of court cases lost consecutively. I think it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, and still incredible that someone is giving him the money to do this. I mean, he still has lawyers to continue to fight these sort of court battles, even as his relevance on the political stage. I mean, even the sort of what we used to be called, I guess, the pro-Zuma faction of the ANC cares far less about him than they used to, it seems. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. And and he really is a spent force. And yet mm. here he is still clogging up the court system. Uh, it is and, and avoiding avoiding jail. Yeah. Absolute madness. Yes. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think that's all the time we have for today. Yeah. So thank you very much, everyone. And as usual, uh, that's a wrap. <laughs>